This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host, Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, a special program devoted to immigration issues. One of our experts helps debunk some of the myths about undocumented workers headed to the U.S. and will unravel the important linkages between those payments immigrants send home, called remittances, and U.S. immigration policy toward Latin America. But first, we turn to Vanessa Jesus Gonzati, who has this week's roundup of news from around Latin America. Leaders from across Latin America and the Caribbean formed a new bloc last week that includes all nations in the hemisphere except the U.S. and Canada. They agreed to develop closer ties in order to protect their economies from the world financial crisis. Several heads of state said during the two-day meeting held in Caracas, Venezuela, that they hope to overcome bad economic times by boosting local industries and increasing trade within the region. The bloc, known by its Spanish initials as CELAC, approved a declaration of shared principles and a clause dealing with democratic norms. Both the Venezuelan president, Hugo Chavez, and Ecuadorian president, Rafael Correa, said they hope the new bloc will eventually overshadow the Washington-based Organization of American States. Cuban President Raúl Castro addressed the meeting by saying that the bloc can become a powerful political tool. The American and Caribbean states community is our more precious work. It is a symbol. It consolidates the concept of a united and sovereign nation. In a controversial move, CELAC includes Cuba and excludes Canada and the U.S. A coalition of Miami Cuban exile groups took off Friday morning from Key West to launch fireworks as a way to protest rights abuses on the island. As of our news time, they plan to go as far as 12 miles off the coast of Havana. Cuba called the demonstration a provocation. The exile groups say they are merely exercising their rights to freedom of expression. A Honduran journalist was killed after being shot by gunmen on motorcycles as she commuted to work in Tegucigalpa. Luz Marina Paz, a news radio host, and her driver were hit by dozens of bullets fired by men outside her home in Honduras capital. Paz hosted a show in which she discussed politics and narcotics trafficking, yet she was not one of the country's most outspoken journalists in these issues. Tegucigalpa holds one of the world's worst homicide rates as drug trafficking and corrupt police forces are the norm. Hours earlier, gunmen opened fire in the offices of the Tribune newspaper, wounding a security guard. Human rights advocates say at least 23 journalists have been killed in Honduras since 2007, many for angering organized criminals and drug traffickers with their work. The Inter-American Press Association says Paz had received death threats from angered criminals from refusing to pay extortion. Tens of thousands marched across Colombia Tuesday to repudiate the murder of soldiers and police by leftist rebels who had held them captive for more than a decade. The Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, the FARC, executed four hostages from close range with bullets to the head and back as government troops engaged in combat with the rebels. The marches were convoked by the relatives and President Juan Manuel Santos' government publicly supported them. Former President of Panama, Manuel Noriega, will be extradited from France to his home country. 
Foreign Minister Roberto Enriquez says Noriega was convicted in absentia of corruption and murder in Panama. Noriega ruled the country from 1983 to 1989 and has already spent more than 20 years in French and U.S. prisons. Once a United States ally, Noriega was arrested by an invasion of American troops in 1990 for being accused of turning Panama into a drug trafficking country. This is Vanessa Jesus Gonzari reporting for Latin Pulse. And now this week's first in-depth analysis with our special theme of immigration. This week, the Washington Post reported that the number of Mexicans attempting to cross illegally into the U.S. had dropped to the lowest levels in 35 years. That report followed a study by the Pew Hispanic Center that showed two-thirds of undocumented workers living in the U.S. have been here for 10 years or longer. Joining us to discuss this issue is economist Manuel Suarez Meyer, who is currently on the faculty at American University. Welcome to Latin Pulse. Thank you very much, Rick. These statistics show us immigration is actually a numerically diminishing issue, yet it has often taken center stage in the political debate in the U.S. this year. What do you make of that? Well, um, immigration is a a very peculiar topic because it's full of emotions and pressures and uh, all sorts of feelings. Um, And uh, I find that talking about immigration when you are in the middle of a recession is not very conducive to any uh, thing but posture. Um, And we see clearly that in in the Republican um, debates and uh, arguments, because uh, with one or two exceptions, the Republicans uh, in this case uh, have chosen to exaggerate the issue and to make it a centerpiece of uh, their positions, but they wa- they want to sound tough on immigration, and even some have suggested that they would uh, undertake uh, the return or the uh, let's let's look for a nice term uh, of rounding up close to 11 million people and sending them back. Uh, besides the logistics of uh, that being close to impossible. It uh, doesn't make any any sense, uh, but the opposite effect is what's going on now. The, the we have, according to th- to these statistics, the lowest number of uh, entries in uh, the U.S. since the early 70s. So I'm wondering if um, if sometimes people use the term "voting with their feet." I'm wondering if Mexicans are voting with their feet regarding the U.S. economy. They they've known that that this economy is not a place where they're going to find work, and they've known that for some time. Absolutely. Migration follows a very very clear and logical pattern. If you find jobs on this side of the, of the border, you come here. And uh, you can see that in, in the graph that uh, illustrated the, the Washington Post story. It, it is very interesting because you, you have two basic elements here going on. The behavior of the U.S. economy on the one hand and the behavior of the Mexican economy on the other. So if you look at, at the graph, it starts growing up in the, in the 70s. Um, but it really shuts up in a remarkable fashion after 1982. That's when Mexico hit the skid, the, the, the debt crisis. And the economy was dead in the water for almost a decade. Um, so, interestingly enough, 
you you see a downward trend in the incoming in illegal immigrants or undocumented, as we prefer to say in Mexico, uh, which goes down when the economy starts recovering in the late 80s and um, starts going up again in the 90s. And, and um, you can see the downward trend in the 80s precisely when you have a recession in the U.S. So you have both. The Mexican economy is a pusher of immigrants to leave the country, and the U.S. economy is a magnet that attracts them when it's healthy and growing, and the opposite when it's not. So it's it's uh, the correlation between the the behavior of the two economies is almost perfect in in this graph. And this is interesting to me because um, this program is probably as guilty as any program in the United States of. Um, running programs about crime and the drug war in Mexico. And we have this condition now in Mexico where it's been extremely violent, especially in the border areas, and yet we are not seeing that push people across the border that you might see in a normal war situation. So is this also explained through the economy? It is, it is to, to some extent. Um, first of all, yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the the headlines, the story that Mexico, whatever Mexico appears, is crime and hyenas and terrible uh, assassinations that are going on and so on and so forth. But that's only part of the story. Uh, but it's the part that grabs the most headlines. Um, the, the violence is concentrated fairly to some few places. Uh, certainly, the violence is not in Mexico City, and is not in the south of the country, and is not in Baja California. Um, even Tijuana has been improved substantially uh, in the northern part of Baja. Uh, so the, the crime is concentrated in places like Ciudad Juarez, that continues to be south of uh, El Paso. Um, in, in the state of Tamaulipas, which is uh, on the, the Gulf Coast, and um, it flares up in other places like uh, Acapulco. Uh, so that's Morelos Strait, yes? That's the Guerrero, Guerrero south sorry. of Morelos, right. But um, And what's happening is that you f see flare-ups of violence, particularly when two um, opposing gangs are fighting it off. Uh, there's a leadership problem there and so on. But uh, if you look at the, the numbers... Yes, the crime rate in Mexico has gone up for the first time in 50 years. In the last decade, it has shot up uh, to levels three times uh, where they used to be ten, ten, days, 10 years ago. But nevertheless, the crime rates in Mexico are much lower than Brazil, Colombia, and certainly the countries in, in Central America. So putting the whole thing in perspective... Uh, Mexico is a multi-layered story. It's not only crime. And that's the other part of the, the story, which is interesting. Um, a think tank to which I, uh, I used to be associated with, SIDAC, uh, did a very interesting analysis of the growing middle class in Mexico. Uh, and that has been the result of uh, 15 years. Since 1994, we haven't had an exchange rate crisis or a banking crisis. Uh, the country has been well-managed from a macroeconomic point of view, no debt, 
uh, healthy public finances. And that has allowed first the banks to lend money. For the first time in uh, many years, uh, Mexicans have had access to credit and to mortgages and had started building up other patrimony. And uh, that has created a solid middle class, which uh, had been eroded by the years of inflation and financial crisis in the 70s and 80s. Uh, so that represents a, a major change. And the other element is that many of the immigrants that went to came to the U.S. have gone back with entrepreneurial skills that they got here. And uh, they have founded businesses in their localities, in their um, in their hometowns, and um, they, with the money they saved, they have launched other enterprises, and and uh, that has also added to the uh, richness of the social um, blend, um, which is in 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 many ways much better than it used to be. And finally, you have the added costs of um, crossing the border, because you you have to take into consideration that. Um, according to a study uh, that it's regularly done by the University of uh, California in San Diego, where they specialized in, in these sorts of things, uh, <clears throat> the cost of crossing the border has gone up by a factor of five or, f five or six times in the last 20 years. So it's, it's far more expensive because you have um, border barriers, you have walls in some cases, the, the parts that are not walled are farther away and uh, dangerous in the middle of the very, very dangerous desert. You have more uh, border patrol agents. And so overall, it has become far costlier and less friendly to cross. So you add up all of these elements, the economics of both places, uh, the U.S. recession, uh, the cost of crossing the border and better opportunities back at home. And you have people not coming in as they used to. So I, I guess I need to make a, a political comment here that maybe the panistas that have been running Mexico for the past 12 years haven't done such a bad job economically. Absolutely. Um, the, the last uh, uh, priest administration, <coughs> which, by the way, was not very priesta because... Uh, President Cedillo was a technocrat. He we, we should interrupt here just, just for those who don't track Mexico. The PAN is the conservative party in Mexico. And the PRI, the PRI, um, uh, for those who like it anglicized, um, is, was the longtime ruling party. And President Cedillo, as you said, was the last of the pre-presidents after yes. more than 70 years. 71 years of, of, of continuous rule. Uh, which in, in the U.S. is also always uh, sort of um, the blurb typically is a PRI, 71 years of autocratic rule, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but <clears throat> the fact of the matter is that uh, that's another topic that we, we might on discuss. On another day. Another, in another day, on another day. But Cedillo um, was, was not a party member. He was a technocrat and made it through by chance. And uh, I think that uh, he figured out that uh, uh, a transition, a true transition to democracy meant uh, that another party should win the presidency after he left. So uh, he, he worked closely with the opposition to make sure that happened, 
he that's why he's not very much loved by the PRI uh, these days, and that's why he's in in um, New Haven, in Yale University, rather than in Mexico City. Uh, but anyway, he began after a disastrous beginning in his administration when he caused the 1994-95 crisis. Uh, he spent the rest of the, the six years of his government cleaning up the mess and putting very solid foundations that uh, the following two administrations, uh, Fox and uh, Calderon, have consolidated. What they did was to hire competent finance ministers, good central bankers, and let them do their job, basically. And that's exactly what has happened. Uh, now Mexico is, uh, its, its foreign debt, which was a recurring problem uh, for the country, uh, is zero if you consider it uh, netting it with the reserves of the central bank. The central bank has reserves uh, in the order of $140 billion, and that m makes it very safe and very uh, secure and, and no problem. And the, the exchange rate of the peso is really floating vis-a-vis -vis the dollar. So <clears throat> you have no element there uh, working towards instability. So for many years, we've had a reasonable rate of inflation around 3% per year, and uh, the pesos floating around levels between 12 and 15 pesos per dollar. And, um, and uh, there is no uh, flare-ups of inflation or financial crisis. And but what you've just told me is that to fix immigration, it takes 15 years. It doesn't happen in four doesn't happen in six. To begin to fix immigration, absolutely. And that's exactly when, when we were trying to uh, negotiate NAFTA back in the 1990s. I was at the time here in Washington uh, in charge of, um, I was a minister for economic affairs at the embassy, and I was in charge of selling the idea of NAFTA to the U.S. And one of the arguments that we used was precisely, look, we, we want to sell you goods and services, not people. If we manage to have a, a vibrant and fast-growing economy in Mexico, people are not going to leave because they are going to find jobs, well-paying jobs in Mexico rather than risk coming to the U.S. And um, uh, with all the costs and perils that that entails, they would rather stay home. And um, that didn't happen basically because we managed not to make all the other reforms that were necessary to get a vibrant and fast-growing economy. But but uh, nevertheless, with the years and the stability that has been accomplished and uh, uh, even relatively modest rates of economic growth have started doing the trick. Well, thank you for joining us today on Latin Pulse. Economist Manuel Suarez-Meyer from American University, thank you. Thank you very much, Rick. Democracy is synonymous with independence. Independence is synonymous with emancipation. Emancipation is synonymous with sovereignty. Sovereignty is synonymous with superiority. Superiority is synonymous with arrogance. Arrogance is synonymous with domination. And domination is synonymous with dictatorship. Dictatorship always finds its way. Amnesty International. Learn, indignate, act.
Welcome back to Latin Pulse, and now we have selections from a pre-recorded interview conducted via Skype with Manuel Orozco of the Inter-American Dialogue, looking deeply at the issue of money immigrants to the U.S. sent home to Latin America, the issue of remittances, the amount of money that goes between Central American and other Latin American countries um, from the U.S. In, in a sense, some of these countries are exporting their labor and exporting their people. That's part of what the remittance issue is all about. We've seen a reduction in these remittances because of the U.S. economy and because of the global economy. Um, how are these countries dealing with this particular problem of this reduction? Well, the, the volume of remittances declined in 2009, slowed down in 2008, just as we were on the brink of recession. There was overnight decline uh, throughout Latin America. The volume dropped from 68 billion in 2008 to 62 billion in 2009. 2010 remittances remain uh, the same. They had 1% growth. And this year is estimated that they will grow by 6%. Um, why this growth continues, even though there are still serious economic um, problems in the global economy, particularly in countries like the United States and Spain? Um, the answer is that immigrants basically are trying to deal with the struggle, with the try to struggle with the problems of um, lack of jobs by relying on their savings, by relying on the few resources they have kept in order to keep their families. Um, in good shape. So there has been an effort among immigrants to continue sending money at least at this time while coping with the post-recessionary period. Um, how long this will last, it's uncertain, but um, people can't maintain their, their economic um, situation for a long time if the economy doesn't improve. Or employment among Hispanics in the United States, for example, continues to be over 10%, uh, particularly among immigrants. And unemployment in Spain is even double that amount, is 20% or more. Uh, Spain is the country where there is the second largest group of immigrants living abroad from Latin America. So um, are there chances that in 2012 immigrants will improve their condition? Um, it's highly unlikely unless the economy really revamps in the spring. Um, so the, the current position, the current condition of immigrants is one of trying to do the best they can, um, working more hours uh, as much as they can in order to send money to their relatives. But the average amounts that they've been sending uh, have been more or less the same. Uh, they're also coping with the anti-immigrant debate and the anti-immigrant um, practices that is basically taking place in Europe and in the United States. That has affected also their ability to send money. It will have a greater effect next year because currently the number of immigrants that are coming into the United States is basically as much or less than the number of deportations that have been going on every year since the last, uh, the past five years. So, for example, people from El Salvador or Central Americans, the, uh, Hondurans and Guatemala, uh, you have about 15,000 Salvadorans coming um, every year for the past five years. However, um, not all of them are undocumented. In fact, 40% uh, of those are actually legal permanent resident uh, holders. 
Um, but the number of deportations that has been going on in this country is over 20,000 people for the past five years. So about 100,000 people have been deported, less than 80,000 have come into the U.S. But you see a big difference here. This will have an effect in the long term in uh, sending money. So the deportations are having more of an effect than the world economic crisis on, on this reduction in remittances in some places. For instance, El Salvador has reported that, that there is um, a considerable reduction that they've seen and that the government is looking at programs to make up for this lack of revenue coming from the United States. Well, yes. Uh, El Salvador has been dealing with this problem. Um, the, Remittances haven't declined to El Salvador. They have continued to remain um, relatively stable. Um, but there's been a number of deportations. And just to give you an idea, if you have 26,000 people deported to a country like El Salvador, whose labor force is basically less than 3 million people, it, it produces basically 1% of that, um, of new people coming for in search for jobs. I'm not sure that people in this country, in the United States, understand the immigration issue as an international issue. Um, they see it as a domestic issue and often don't understand what happens with remittances, um, um, are ignorant to the fact that that money is flowing southward as a, as a means almost of economic aid from the United States. It's, a, it's, it's not from the government, but it is from the citizens of, of other countries that come here to work. Yes, I mean, immigration is, is, uh, is an intermestic issue. Um, conveniently, it's seen by any government as a domestic policy issue. The reasons is because anything that deals with foreign, for, uh, that deals with aliens from another country, it falls in the realm of national sovereignty. So within that context, public policy as well as national defense policy, um, it subordinates migration within the context of defense and security. The problem is that migration is also connected to the global economy in many ways, and it's been connected to international economics in many ways. A country like the United States has a strong demand for foreign labor, in particular activities, especially in agriculture and services, but even in construction there is a demand for people um, from abroad. Um, if you look at the current agenda of the uh, pre-candidates for the Republican can um, elections, the, the primaries, uh, you will find out that basically the most important issue that they are raising as a critical issue is either overcome all of Obama's uh, policies or attack immigration policies. But they, in, in, in lack or in view of a lack of an agenda, in the country, over you know what else to do, what else to do, they are bringing immigration to the core, um, and the rhetoric is pretty based on, on assumptions. The number of immigrants, for example, who are undocumented, has declined substantially. Um, just to give you an idea, the, there has been since 2003, we have deported probably three million people. So the number of undocumented migrants is far lower. So that's Dan 3 million people in 8 number. years deported, yes? Yeah, yeah. An average of 350,000 every year. So 
if you, Obama alone, during his administration, one million people have been deported. So if you look at that, you, you cannot possibly continue to have these 12 million undocumented migrants. And this is a shared responsibility issue. There is a demand for foreign labor. There is a demand that has to do with certain aspects of the productive uh, segment of the U.S. economy. And just by thinking of being tough on immigration without being tough on economic growth, by taking care of the labor force, you are basically making this a political issue for, for the welfare of the economy or the country. So um, it's not surprising that Republicans you know, were aggressive on a program that has a strong racial bias already. With that, we have to end our interview with Manuel Orozco, Senior Associate at the Inter-American Dialogue in Washington, D.C. Thank you for joining us. Latin Pulse is available on the web and via iTunes. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, dot org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org forward slash Latin Pulse. If you'd like to comment on this week's program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you can write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse.gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, dot gmx.com. Thank you for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For associate producer Vanessa Jesus Gonzati and announcer Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchen nosotros. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University School of Communication and with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music from Canary Productions and Bath Time Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2011, Las Rocas Productions.